0: What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to Plazon's Podcast, filled to the brim with glitchy analysis and freezing cold takes, so cold that they're boiling hot. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. Thank you so much to Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. Check out their website for online deals for takeout and delivery. Right now, they have an awesome takeout deal. Get a large one-topping pizza for just $7.99. Thank you so much to Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge once again. Today, ladies and gentlemen, is the first day until September that we are without NFL games. Oh, my goodness. It was such a season. Personally, I thought it was kind of disappointing. But, you know, if you liked this season, that's great. Make sure that you leave it in the comments. Speaking of leaving it in the comments, make sure that you guys follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on YouTube, or follow us on one of our many social media pages, Instagram, YouTube Shorts, and TikTok. That being said... I've taken some time to reflect, and I've contemplated my thoughts on Super Bowl 57. I had zero stakes on this game. Look, I had no bets, no picks, no pride. But I was devastated by the ending of that game. I was going to do a podcast last night just strictly about the decision at the end, but I decided to not let my emotions get in the way. So after careful thought and consideration, I am still... Pissed off. Pissed off about the call. But before I rip that to shreds, let's talk about this game. Before the final two minutes, this Super Bowl had everything imaginable. Jalen Hurts played out of his mind the entire game, including two bombs, nuclear bombs, to Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. The Chiefs couldn't get his number all game long. The offensive game plan was almost perfect for the Eagles. Hertz ended up with three touchdowns on the ground, which tied a Super Bowl record for the most in one game. The only mark against his performance was a fluke fumble in the second quarter that was returned for a touchdown by chief linebacker Nick Bolton. Now, when it comes to game plans for Patrick Mahomes, the Eagles couldn't have schemed it up better on offense. For almost the entire first half, Mahomes wasn't even seen on the field. The Eagles had four four four-minute-plus drives ran almost 20 more plays, and outgained and, quite frankly, outplayed the Kansas City Chiefs. However, this game comes down to situational football, and the Chiefs won those 50-50 plays much more often than the Eagles did. Now, the three main ones, for starters, the Chiefs scored off the Hurts fumble. That's huge. That's one major indicator that they're going to win the game. They won the turnover battle, and they got a non-offensive touchdown. Two- They had a major special teams play in the second half. Kadarius Toney returned a punt almost to the end zone, got the Chiefs down within the 10, and they scored three plays later. But last but not least, that dreadful call at the end of the game. But here we go. One more time, I'm going to take a break from that, and we're going to talk about appreciating greatness. Patrick Mahomes joins an elite class of quarterbacks. He's one of only three quarterbacks so far to win two MVPs and two Super Bowl MVPs. He's acquired the most hardware out of any player in the first five years of a starting career, and he's only 27. If he plays for 10 more years, which is about what quarterbacks play, he can rack up whatever he wants, whether that's Super Bowls, MVPs, Super Bowl MVPs, All-Pros, Pro Bowls, et cetera, etc., cetera. Now, what Patrick Mahomes proved in this Super Bowl is he is not a product of any system. The Chiefs lost Tyreek Hill, Tyron Matthew, and Shavarius Ward last all season, yet they won a Super Bowl this year. And he had a much better season statistically with just basically Travis Kelsey and no other major receiver. Speaking of Travis Kelsey and appreciating greatness, of course, to me, he has cemented himself as the greatest tight end of all time. This year... He is now a seven-time All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowler, two-time Super Bowl winner, and receiver of seven straight 1,000-yard seasons. By the end of his career, he's going to be top three in receiving yards, top three in touchdowns, and top three in yards per game for tight ends. The gap between him and the next tight end of his generation, which is not Gronk, by the way, is a canyon. Now that we've given out our flowers, it's time for... For a roast and toast. This pleasant freezing cold take is so cold that it's boiling hot. And it is that the NFL should fine every single official from last night's game. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I took some time to think this opinion through. The holding call on 3rd and eight to wrap up the game has tarnished what I viewed as the best Super Bowl ever. So much so that it is no longer even a top five Super Bowl to me. Every time this game is going to be mentioned, the first thing that I'm going to think about is what if the Eagles had gotten the ball back with one minute and 40 seconds left to play only down three and they had a timeout in their pocket. There was a Jersey tug, but I have two counter arguments for this. One, the ball to me looked uncatchable, which negates the call in my opinion. And two, you never make that call in that moment. The referees took 58 minutes, millions of dollars, players and coaches' hard work and dedication and blood, sweat, and tears to completely and utterly take complete control of the narrative. I was talking to a friend the other day about him finding it ridiculous that people thought the NFL was scripted. Well, Last night didn't help whatsoever. I mentioned on the podcast two weeks ago that Joseph Oside, the linebacker for the Bengals, shouldn't have put the game in the refs' hands when they lost the AFC Championship to the Chiefs. I stand by that, but my opinion is also solidified now. I stand by what I'm saying today because last night's holding call wasn't James Bradbury handing it to the refs. It was a questionable call at best. So for them to rip... This game, out of the Eagles' hands, any chance that they had to respond in the Super Bowl is a complete and utter travesty, and nothing short of that. That's my rant for the Super Bowl. I enjoyed the game, but I will never forget that call. I honestly cannot believe it was made. But moving on, we've got the best part of the show that I put my blood, sweat, and tears into. It's time for Plazant's Locks. First up, a college basketball NBA combo lay. We've got Miami plus five and a half versus North Carolina. Now, There's been a ton of drama and controversy at UNC regarding their backcourt, R.J. Davis and Caleb Love. There's a lot of distractions around the program, which is why they've lost three of their last four. Now Miami has been the second strongest team in the ACC and just had an extremely impressive win over Duke. It's all about the U. Give me Miami plus five and a half. Next up, Texas minus four versus Texas Tech. Texas and Texas Tech are polar opposites in college basketball this year. The Longhorns are sitting at the top of the conference while the Red Raiders are scraping the bottom. Although Texas Tech is starting to kind of put the pieces together, so is Texas. They are 20-0 against top 25 teams this year. You can expect them to take care of business again. Hook them. Third, Baylor, minus six and a half versus West Virginia. West Virginia is two and four against teams on the road, including their most recent blunder, a 34 point blowout to Texas. Not to mention, they're three and five against top 25 teams and 0 and two against top 25 teams on the road. Baylor is on fire right now, winning nine of 10, including three top 25 wins. The Mountaineers are no match for the Bears. Gimme Baylor, minus six and a half. Last but not least on this first lay, Golden State minus four against the Washington Wizards. The Wizards are probably the streakiest team in the NBA, and San Francisco is where streaks come to die. The Warriors already gave the Wizards a handful in D.C., winning by nine. Now in Oracle, Washington is doomed to fall short without Kyle Kuzma. It's going to be an absolute pool party. All four of those are plus 1382. We're riding. We love it. Now let's lay up some quick player props. Damian Lillard, under 8.5 assists versus the Lakers. Dame hit the under in six of his nine last games, and without multiple bigs tonight, Dame is going to have to carry the offensive load. Second, R.J. Barrett, over 4.5 rebounds versus the Nets. The Nets are a huge, huge hodgepodge now of just a bunch of different assortments of players, and the Knicks can take advantage of their lack of teammate chemistry. RJ averages over 5 rebounds a game, so this to me is a give-me. Third on our list, Rudy Gobert over 10.5 rebounds versus the Mavericks. If there's one thing the Mavericks lack, it's size. Gobert is slumping in February, but before in January, he hit the 10.5 mark six straight times to end the month. I like Gobert here. I think he gets a lot of boards tonight. Now next up, Jordan Poole under 5.5 assists versus the Wizards. Poole has hit the mark on the under on 10 of his last 14, and he's getting more of the offensive load. Now, that might mean that he gets more assists, but it also means what I've just recorded here. I've seen more shots than I have passes increased in his games since Stephen Curry has been injured. I think that Jordan Poole is going under five and a half assists. Last but not least, to wrap this up, Laurie Markkinen under nine and a half rebounds versus the Pacers. The Jazz center Walker Kessler has seen a massive increase in minutes over the past few months. He's now taken Markin's place as the main rebound getter, and Markkinen has grabbed less than 9.5 rebounds in six of his last eight games. All five of those together, plus 1987, let's lock it in and win big today. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Plazon's podcast. Be sure to hit that follow and that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time.